Dangerous church, week number one, we're going to be talking about dangerous Christianity. What does it mean to become a dangerous, dangerous Christian? The definition of dangerous is exposing to or involving danger, like a dangerous job, or able to or likely to inflict injury or harm, a dangerous man. Now, I want to clear something up right away. We are not talking about being abusive as a church. We're talking about being dangerous as a church. Because for some of you, when I say dangerous church, you're having flashbacks and memories of being hurt by the church. Because how many know if you've been in church any given time, you're going to get hurt by the church. There's leaders that fail. There's hypocrites in the church. There's people that mess up. But how come the church is the only place that can have a hypocrite and we don't forgive the church, but yet you can work at a business with a hypocrite, and if somebody does you wrong at your business, you don't quit your job and say, I'm never going back there again. But God forbid somebody does you wrong in church. Well, that's exactly what I thought the church would be. See, it's funny the double standard we put on church that we don't put on our jobs. or You don't even put it on the bar. You can have a hypocrite in the bar, and yet you'll go back to the bar, but you won't go back to the church if you find a hypocrite. Well, guess what, people? If you're going to be a part of any church in the world, you're going to find hypocrites. Your pastor's a hypocrite. I am preaching a perfect gospel that I can never live up to. That's the truth. As much as I want to live up to and say that I'm perfect and say that I got it all together, and I, and, 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 I, and I don't. So the reality is all of us are hypocrites in some way. We just got to be honest about it and do our best to follow Jesus. So when I talk about dangerous church, I'm not talking about an abusive church. I'm talking about a dangerous church. A church that's full of power, a church that's full of life, a church that is on the offense taking their society for God, a church that's not sitting around hiding, waiting for Jesus to come back, but a church that is out there dangerously impacting society. The Bible says our weapons of warfare are not of this world, but they are things of spiritual nature. See, how many know the spiritual weapons are more powerful than any weapons of this world? See, the power you are carrying inside of you is more powerful than any machine gun, than any rocket, than any military aircraft. The weapons of this warfare are not, our, uh, are not of this world, but our weapons are love, faith, power, joy, hope. But see, one of the problems we found in America today is, especially in America, especially in the Western world, and especially this last 10 years, is we have, what I've noticed, at least in the church in America, is we have tended to civilize people's faith. We've tended to domesticate people's faith. We're, we're living in a world where we've got this civilized Christianity, this domesticated church, this, this safe environment, this nice place where everyone's nice and everyone's pretty and nobody's offensive and, 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 and it's safe and it's civilized and it's domesticated and, and we're just a bunch of nice people. I mean, you look at a lot of churches today in America, and it's just a bunch of nice, they're nice people. They don't bother anybody. They don't ever cause any stink in the town. They're just, they're just nice people. And we've made a virtue out of being Christians, trying to look like and talk like and act like Mr. Rogers. I mean, you know what I'm saying? You know, if you want to, you know, I had a lady come up the other day. He's like, Pastor, I just want my husband to hang out with godly men. I want my husband to hang out with churchmen. What she was really saying without knowing it is, Pastor, I'd like my husband to hang out with guys that don't like sports and don't like Harleys and, 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 and just, you know, that I want my husband to hang out with guys who like sweater vests and knitting and crochet. And I'm sorry, if you wear sweating vests, forgive me. You know, we, we, we've tended to build this, this virtue on this safe, domesticated, civilized, nice, happy, sweet Christianity. 
Instead of what the Bible, you look at Matthew chapter 11, which we're going to be digging into today. You look at John the Baptist, the guy that Jesus used to prepare his way. I mean, here's a guy that wore sheepskin clothing and, and animal skins. He was rough. He, you know, he, you know, he's the guy that's wearing the black leather animal skin vest, wearing blue jeans, black boots, tattoos, and driving a Harley. And that's the guy Jesus used to prepare his way. I mean, this guy's eating locusts and honey. He was wild. He didn't fit in. He didn't look like it. I mean, listen, if you want a pastor to wear a suit and tie, start your own church and you can look stupid. <laughs> but, you know, it's just not me. You know, I mean, he, here we are, this guy, John the Baptist, he was wild, he was radical. You know, it just doesn't make sense to me how the guys that founded Christianity, the men who built the New Testament church, they lived out the book of Acts. Paul, Peter, I mean, Peter's got this cussing problem. He, he's cutting people's ears off with swords. I mean, he's got all these issues. And then you've got Paul who's torturing and killing Christians for a living. And then all of a sudden he becomes a Christian. You've got all these wild people. And then you look at the church today and you're saying, what? where do we go wrong? I mean, how do we become so civilized and domesticated and created these safe little environments when God called us to this dangerous, radical, adventurous, risk-taking type of faith? See, something changed in Christianity. And here in Matthew 11, we have John the Baptist and Jesus having a conversation third party. John is sending his disciples to Jesus to ask questions, and Jesus is sending them back to John with the response. Now, look at this with me. Matthew chapter 11. Let's dig into this for a moment. Matthew chapter 11. Look at verse 1 with me. Now, it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ. Now, remember, he heard about the works of Christ. John sent two of his disciples to Jesus and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are clean, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now let me explain what's going on here. John is asking the most important question that any of us will ever ask in our life. Are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Are you Jesus Christ, the Savior and the Lord? And we should never be offended by people that ask that question because when you really think about it, it's kind of ridiculous to think that the God of the universe, the creator of, of all matter and all universe and the galaxies and the heavens, that this, this all-powerful being God stepped out of heaven, out of a heavenly realm into an earthly existence stepped out of a heavenly body into flesh and skin like us, stepped out of eternity and into confined time and lived on this earth with us. How many know it's, it, it's kind of crazy to believe that? That this godly being became human for us. And it's important to ask that question, are you the one? Because each and every one of you have to settle that. You've got to know whether or not he is Christ, whether or not he is the Messiah, whether or not he is the Lord. Because if not, you're just believing in a fairy tale. So you've got to come to the point where you know without a doubt whether or not he is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He is the Savior. You've got to come to terms. But for John the Baptist to be asking that question is crazy. I mean, for John the Baptist to be asking Jesus, are you the one or should we wait for another, is completely absurd if you know the history. You know, 
let, let me explain. John the Baptist and Jesus were first cousins. They grew up together. In fact, when John's mother Elizabeth was pregnant with John and Jesus' mother Mary was pregnant with Jesus, when the two girls got together, the Bible says that John leapt in his mother's womb at being close to Christ. So even before John was born, he knew who Jesus was. I mean, before he was ever born, he knew the Messiah. He knew he was Christ. They grew up together. They were like brothers. They were first cousins. They hung out. They spent time together. Now, John was the one that out of the multitude, John saw Jesus out of the multitude, distinguished him from a crowd of people and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John recognized him out of the crowd. He knew who he was. John the Baptist was the one who baptized Jesus. He came and Jesus said, baptize me. He said, look, I'm not even unworthy to untie your shoes. And Jesus says, listen, you got to baptize me. And John baptized Jesus and the heavens opened. John was there that day. John heard the voice of God coming from the heavens saying, behold, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. John heard that voice from heaven. So do you understand if there's anybody in the world who should not be asking that question, it's John. If there's anybody in the entire world that should be absolutely convinced who Jesus Christ was, it was John. And now here, 30 years later, John is sitting here asking, are you the one or should we wait for another? How does that happen? How can he be confident for 30 years of his life and now be doubting? Now not truly understand. Not, now be questioning, are you the one? Well, let me tell you what's going on here. If you look at verse 2, you'll find the answer. Verse 2 says, while John was in prison. That's the answer right there. See, how many know when you get stuck in prison, it's easy to doubt? And it may not be a physical prison. It may be the prison of unemployment. It may be the prison of, of terminal illness. It may be the prison of a problem or a mountain or a trial you're facing. But how many know it's easy to start wondering, are you the one when you're sitting there in prison? And John is sitting here in prison asking, are you the one? Why? Because John realizes he's about to lose his head. He's about to go to the electric chair. He's about to get the death penalty. And so before John gives up his life, he wants to know, are you the Christ? But what was really bothering him was going a little bit deeper than simply that. What was really bothering him was, was there's a little bit more root there than what you're seeing. So Jesus answers John. He tells John's disciples, go tell John that, yes, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I'm healing people, I'm opening blind eyes, I'm letting crippled people walk again, I'm raising the dead, I'm preaching the good news to the poor. Then Jesus says something completely out of left field. Have you ever been reading the Bible and you're going along and all of a sudden a verse just jumps out because it doesn't fit, it doesn't make sense, it's not part of the flow of the message? It's just something completely out of left field. Verse 6 is like that. You know, Jesus is saying, go tell them that, look, I'm healing the sick, I'm preaching to the poor, I'm raising the dead, I'm doing all these things. And then verse 6, Jesus says, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. This doesn't fit. This doesn't make sense at all. Blessed are those that don't fall away on account. Blessed. Now, let me explain something. I, you know, never... 
in 15 years of being in the ministry, I have never had one person come up to me and say, Pastor, if I see one more dead person raised, I'm becoming an atheist. <laughs> never seen it happen. I've never seen him say, Pastor, if I see one more person who is crippled and can't walk supernaturally healed, I'm giving up my faith in God. I've never seen anyone say, if I see one more blind eye open, I'm turning my back on God, I'm becoming an atheist, and I'm walking away. I've never seen that happen because those type of miracles tend to build your faith, not discourage you. They don't tear apart your faith. They build your faith. And now Jesus is saying, go tell John all of this stuff has happened. But John already knew that was happening. In verse 2, it said John had already heard the works of Christ. So why is Jesus saying, blessed are those that don't fall away on account of me? See, let me explain the crux of Christianity. Let me explain the real dilemma. Let me explain what John is really facing and why he can't figure out why Jesus isn't coming through for him. Because in America today and many parts of the world, we have this domesticated faith This civilized Christianity that tells people if you just follow God and you just believe in God, then everything's going to be perfect. Life's going to be rosy. You're never going to have problems. You're never going to get sick. If you just follow God, you're going to marry a better looking girl than you could have gotten without God. And you're going to get a better job than you were qualified for. And you're going to get better grades without studying. And you're never going to get sick. You're never going to fight with your wife. You're never going to have any problems with your children. If you just follow God, everything's going to be okay. And that's this civilized, domesticated faith that is being preached in America today. And then when something goes wrong, when a mountain comes into play, a giant comes up, you're facing unemployment, you're facing sickness, you're facing the problems of this world, we begin to wonder, where's God? Why isn't God coming through for me? Why hasn't God moved on my behalf? Why hasn't God given me a miracle? And we get offended, and we get bitter, and we get broken, and we begin to lose our faith, and we begin to question our faith. And so Jesus is saying, John, listen. I am the one that's healing these people. I am the one that's doing all these miracles. I am the one raising up dead people, healing blind eyes, healing the cripple. But John, I'm not coming through for you. John, you're going to lose your head for me sitting in that prison. I'm not going to deliver you. I'm not going to save you. And I'm not going to get you out of that prison cell. So, John, don't get offended because of me. I don't know about you, but that's a ripoff. That's not what I signed up for when I became a Christian. You remember Peter and uh, Jesus talking on the beach? Jesus says, hey, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, Jesus, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you know I love you. Then Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, I told you this is the third time. I love you. Well, Peter, feed my sheep. And by the way, you're going to die for me. What? Man, love hurts. You know what Peter's response was? This is hilarious. You got to go read it sometime in the Bible. You know what Peter's response was? What about John? That was his response. What about John? What's going to happen? And Jesus said, Peter, what's it to you? What's it to you what I do with John? What if I let John live till I come back? What's it 
to you. You serve me. You follow me. You don't worry about what I'm doing in their life or down the street or your neighbor. What's it to you? And Pete, John's sitting on the side saying, yeah, Peter, what's it to you? Keep your mouth shut about me. Keep me out of this. <laughs> See, the real problem is we don't care if God can work miracles. All we really care about is if God's going to work my miracle. So I, I don't care if God can heal the whole world. All I really care about is if God's going to heal me. And what John's really asking is, are you the Christ because you're not coming through for me? Are you really the Christ because you're not answering my prayers? You're not saving me. You're not delivering me. And if you don't come through for me, I'm going to get offended and I'm going to get angry and I'm going to get bitter. So I remember growing up, my dad was my hero. You know, he was everything to me. He was, you know, he was one of those dads that, you know, as a little boy, my dad could throw a baseball a mile. I mean, he could just throw a baseball. So he could hit a ball. I mean, every time he got up to bat, I thought it was a home run. Just one of those guys. He was a preacher. He was an evangelist. I remember every Sunday I would go out with my dad, different churches every Sunday, and he, would pre- he was the greatest preacher I ever heard growing up. I love my dad. He was my hero in life. And then I remember 12 years old, coming home one day, finding my mom crying, asking my mom what happened, and finding out my dad wasn't ever going to come home again. This hero of mine, this, this, this great man, this, this, this so-called man of God, this preacher, found out he was having affairs on my mom, wanted nothing to do with our family, and he abandoned us and left us. And we had to move to the wrong side of the trailer. It was me, it was, it was our family, a couple other families all living in a little trailer. And I'm not talking about the trailer parks like you have in Carlsbad, these beautiful trailer parks. I'm talking about the wrong side of the track trailer parks. You know, all a bunch of us just struggling to survive, struggling to get by. And I remember sitting at that point at 12 years old, broken, hurt. And I remember consciously making a choice to turn my back on God. Thinking, God, how could you allow this to happen to a little boy? God, if you really love me, you'd never let something like this happen. God, if you really love me, I wouldn't be going through this right now. And I remember making a decision to get offended and to get angry and to get bitter. I remember walking away from God at 12 years old, wanting nothing to do with God, nothing to do with the church. Just this broken little boy. Saying, God, if that's, if that's who you are, I don't want you. Became a drug addict, became an alcoholic for years. But you know what? It was my choice. Nobody made me do it. My dad didn't make me do it. Yeah, he messed up. He hurt us. He broke us. But it was my choice to get offended to God. Because I grew up believing that if I just love God, everything would be perfect. If I just love God, I'd never have any problems in my life. So I don't know what you're dealing with right now. But don't let this domesticated religion, this domesticated thing called Christianity, this civilized faith, begin to infiltrate you. Because if you do, as soon as you face a problem, as soon as you face a trial, you're going to start crying out, God, where are you? How could you do this, God? God, how would you allow me to be in this situation? And you blame God and you get angry at God. See, so many of us, we like to say, Well, the safest place to be is in the center of the will of God. Safest place to be, and it's such a beautiful statement, it's comforting. I've even seen bumper stickers. 
Safest place to be is in the will of God. Only problem is it's not true. It's not biblical. It's not safe to be in the will of God. You know what? You know what our problem is? Our problem is Daniel. That's our problem. Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. See, we, we like to say, well, Daniel survived the lion's den. Yeah, but a lot of Christians became great meals. See, our problem is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We say, well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they survived the fiery furnace. Yeah, but there are a lot of Christians that were incinerated. So we don't like to talk about them. We don't like to talk about, you know, we like to look at Hebrews 11, all these great mighty men of faith and women of faith, and it's, it's the hall of fame for the Bible. Hebrews chapter 11, we talk about Jacob and Abraham and Isaac and Moses and all these amazing men of God and women of God and men of faith. But you know what? There's a little transition in Hebrews chapter 11 you never hear anybody preach about. A little transition right in the middle of the chapter, it says, and then there were others. We don't like to preach about the others. We don't like to talk about the others. It's, it, it's, not, it, it's not politically correct to, to preach on the others in the world today. What others? Well, let's look at it. Hebrews 11, verse 35. The Bible says, Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings and beatings, yes, chains of imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn into two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. They never gave up their faith. They never turned their back on God. And the Bible says they never received the promise. They were never delivered. They were never saved. We don't like to talk about the others. We don't like to mention the others. See, look at Paul. You think, you think the safest place to be is in the center of the will of God? Paul had a real problem with being in the will of God. I mean, oh, man, he's being shipwrecked, stoned, beaten, tortured, left for dead. I mean, how many know it wasn't safe for Paul to be in the center of the will of God? So get this idea out of your mind that Christianity is safe. I had a young man a few years ago in Los Angeles when I was pastoring there. He came up and said, Pastor... Pray for me. I'm going to the most dangerous high school in the ghetto of Los Angeles. This high school is full of gangs, full of drugs, full of violence. He said, pray that God will keep me safe. I said, I can't do it. He said, what do you mean? I said, to be honest, God's just not interested in your safety. So how can you say that? You're a pastor. I said, listen, nowhere in the Bible does it talk about being a Christian is safe. I said, but what I will pray for is that God will make you dangerous. I said, I won't pray that God will keep you safe, but I'll pray that God will make you dangerous. God will make you more dangerous than anything you encounter in that school. That you can walk in that school with power and authority and boldness and greater is in you than he that is in the world. And you're the head and not the tail. And the power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is alive and at work in you. So when you walk into that high school, you become the dangerous one. You become the one that's changing your school, changing your society, changing your environment. You don't have to let that school change you, you can change the school. See, and it's time we become dangerous as believers. It's time we begin to understand what God has placed in us, 
We have our barbarian call to follow Christ. Goes on in Matthew 11 to say about John the Baptist, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. See, we're not called to be safe, pretty, nice, quiet Christians that don't bother anybody. We are called to be a force in our community, a force of love, a force of good, a force of serving, a force of seeing the divorce rate in our community go down, a force of seeing domestic violence stop in our community, a force of seeing child abuse stop, a force of seeing suicide go down and drug and alcohol abuse go down. That's what being a dangerous church is all about, transforming the community we live in. Letting the light of Christ that lives in us begin to glow so bright in our workplaces, to begin to glow so bright in our communities, it changes people. There is a battle raging right now. And I said our weapons are not guns and knives, but their love and their hope and their faith and their serving. See, I've never seen a church in my life that did not want to grow. But I've seen a lot of churches that weren't willing to love people enough that they'd risk everything for them. Do you hear me? I've never seen a church that didn't want to grow, but I've seen a lot of churches that don't love people enough. They're not willing to do whatever it takes to reach them. I was studying animals the other day, different groups of animals. You know, when they, when they, when they group together, they're called things. Lions, what are lions called when they group together? Ants, what are ants called? Bees, swarms, fish are called schools, whales are called pods, lions are called prides, crows, you know what crows are called when they group together? Murder. (laughs) Owls, you know owls, when they group together, owls are called parliament, and they do kind of look British. (laughs) Just kidding. Flamingos, they're called flamboyant. Oh, this is a good one. Do you know what vultures are called when they group together? Vultures? Vultures are called committees. I mean, no, that explains a lot of the church. That answers church life for you. Rhinos are my favorite animal now. As I was studying about rhinos, I found some really interesting characteristics on rhinos. You know rhinos can weigh up to two tons? I mean, that's massive. I mean, two-ton beast. Rhinos can run 26 miles an hour. That's fast. I mean, can you imagine being two tons running 26 miles an hour? The other thing about rhinos is beyond 30 feet, they're blind. They can see for about 30 feet, and then beyond 30 feet, they're completely blind. So let me ask you a question. If you weighed two tons, could run 26 miles an hour, but couldn't see beyond 30 feet, would you ever run full speed? I mean, I'd be walking around. I'm not going to get this thing going too fast. I can't see what's there, man. I'm going to smack it before I know it. You know, rhinos can run wild. And you know what rhinos are called when they group together? Crash. They're called a crash. And to me, I said, that's it. That's the church. That's what we should be. 
See, for so long, the church walks around slowly because we don't know what's out there and we're scared. We don't know what's at 31 feet. Rhinos run wild. Why? Because a rhino doesn't care what's at 31 feet because what's ever at 31 feet better see him coming. You know what I'm saying? And here's the church. We don't need to walk around timid and walk around worried. And I don't know what's out there. I don't know what I'm going to run into. No, we should run wild because whatever at 31 feet better be worried about the church coming because we're the dangerous ones. We're changing society. We're changing culture. We're changing drug addicts and suicidal people. And we're, we're saving marriages and preventing domestic violence and child abuse. See, that is our mission as the church. That is why God has called us to be dangerous. God has called us to the offensive. God didn't call us to be a little fortress and camp out and play it safe and hope the world doesn't get us until Jesus comes back. That's why next Saturday, Marsh and Dave Barth and I are going down to Tijuana. And we're beginning the discussion about planning a coastline campus in Tijuana. So on Sundays, you'll have the option of going to the Carlsbad campus or the Tijuana campus. You know, it's just the, it's the early seed stages. It may happen this year. It may happen next year. It doesn't matter. It's not safe to go down there. It's not safe to plant campuses in Tijuana. But you know what? God called us to be dangerous and take that city for God and take this community for God. And let's just take the world for Christ. I mean, if greater is in us than he that is in the world, if the power that raised Christ from the dead is available to us, why don't we start acting like it? Chronicles of Narnia, little Lucy was asking about Aslan the lion, this mighty, powerful lion representing God. And little, they were describing Aslan, he's, he's gentle, he's strong, he's powerful, he's sweet, he's kind, he's caring, he's compassionate. And Lucy she asked the question, so Aslan is safe? And they said, no, 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 no. He's not safe, but he's good. He's not safe, but he's good. This morning, for some of you, God's not safe, but he's good. It may not be safe for you to follow Christ. It may not be comfortable for you to follow Christ. It may not be easy for you to follow Christ. It may be tough. You may be going through hell right now and not having any idea how you're going to get out of it. And right now you're tempted with this domesticated, civilized faith to get bitter and angry at God. Why isn't God answering my prayer? Why did God let this happen? How could God do this? And it's very easy to get bitter at God, very easy to get angry, very easy to live a safe lifestyle. For some of you, it's just safe. It's safe not to get out of the boat. It's safe not to walk in faith. It's safe not to really tell people you work with that you follow Christ because it may, it may hurt my chances of getting a promotion if people know I'm a believer. I don't know what your safe is, but it's time that we become dangerous with our faith. It's time that we begin to connect to our faith, operate in our faith, activate our faith, and begin to see a society change around us as a result of our faith, as a result of our life. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Before we close, I just want to ask anyone, you heard a pretty tough message about following Christ today. I'm not selling you a good life. I'm not saying come to Jesus and your life's going to be perfect and you're never going to have problems. 
For some of you, you heard this message, and you're like, man, that's not what I thought I was signing up for. But you're hearing the raw, real Christian truth. It ain't easy to follow Christ. It's tough. You're going to be tempted to get offended a lot. You're going to be tempted to wonder why, God, why? Some of you just need to develop the tenacity that Job had, yet God slay me, though I'll trust him. It doesn't matter what God does. I will trust him. I will believe in him. I'm not going to get offended no matter what life throws at me. But for some of you, you need to make a decision today to follow Jesus. You're not following him right now. You're not walking after Jesus today. And I want to ask you, if this message touched your heart, if something's burning inside of you, and you're saying, listen, I need that more than anything right now. I need to follow Christ more than anything. Would you slip up your hand with nobody looking around so that I can pray for you? Raise your hand right now if you want to follow Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Who else? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Raise your hand. Thank you, thank you. All over this hand, hands are raising. Wow. I want to take it one more step today. We're not going to be here long, but those of you that raised your hand, I want to give you an opportunity to really cement the decision you're making to really solidify it. If you're ready to stand for Christ, no matter what, no matter what life throws at you, no matter what you encounter, no matter what giants, mountains come your way, you're ready to make a stand for Christ today. You raised your hand. You want to follow Christ. You're not going to let anything hold you back. You raised your hand this morning. Would you stand with me? Just stand with me. If you raise your hand, thank you. Just stand with me all over the room. If you raise your hand, stand up. Thank you. Thank you. More of you need to stand that raised your hand right now. If you raise your hand, just make a stand with me. Thank you. Thank you. I'm just going to wait. If you raise your hand, stand up. There's, there's a couple more of you that need to make this stand. Can I have some of our prayer team and elders just find some of the people standing right now and just go and stand with them? If you need to stand, stand up. If, if you're sitting by somebody that raised their hand and they need to stand, tell them you're going to stand with them right now. They don't have to do it by themselves. Church, this is why we're here, to give people an opportunity to make a decision to follow Christ. Those of you standing and everybody in the room, I want you to pray this prayer after me. There's nothing magical about it. It's just a simple way of declaring that Christ is Lord, that we need Him as our Savior, and we plead His forgiveness. Everyone in the church, repeat this after me to encourage those that are standing. Say, Dear God, forgive me of my sins. I need you to be my Savior, and I make you my Lord. I decide today to follow you no matter what. Not for good things, but to follow you, period. I know you're going to bless me. But I know I live in this world, and things happen. 
So I won't let go of my faith because of a problem. But I will trust you. I decide today I will not get offended at Christ. Thank you, Lord. Amen. That's it, church. Stand with us. Everybody stand with us. This is going to be a fun month on Dangerous Church. February 20th, I, I talked to our, the, the, our Denny Shaw, our speaker, the former Undersecretary of Defense under Ronald Reagan. He's doing a message on being armed and dangerous out of Ephesians. You don't want to miss that. He ran the entire Navy. was, you know, just, just one of the most brilliant military minds you'll ever meet. He's going to be relating battle principles to the Bible and the Christian living. It's going to be a powerful Sunday, February 20th, and then next week and the last week. It's just going to be a fun series of becoming dangerous Christians in a dangerous church. Father, we love you. Bless us, God. We believe, Lord, with all of our heart that you intend to use Coastline to become dangerous in this community, dangerous for you, dangerous in a way that attacks crime, attacks divorce, attacks abuse, and sees significant change as a result of our work, our efforts, and our life. Because, Father, you've called us to serve you. So we are your hands and we are your feet. Use us in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Y'all have an absolutely wonderful Super Bowl. Eat a lot of nachos. Eat some steak burgers. Go on a diet tomorrow.